Hi, everybody. I'm going to do something shocking today. I'm going to talk about Emily Bronte. I know what you're thinking. That is the wrong Bronte sister. I'm really trying to open myself up to that not being the case. Emily and I are at the beginning of a love affair. We have kept our distance from each other for the last 30 years or so, but I've been playing footsie with her. And I'm inviting you in on a conversation with the wonderful Sana Vlagentart. Sana is best known for her Books and Quills YouTube series about all of her literary travel in the UK. She also has an Instagram under that handle. It's just like beautiful. She is a freelance digital creator based out of London, and she's going to be leading our Weathering Heights pilgrimage next fall in September of 2024. Sana came on a literary pilgrimage with me this last September, and besides having like iconic hiking fashion, she is also just such a deep thinker about pilgrimage. She has really spent her career going to these literary pilgrimage sites across the UK. And Weathering Heights is a book that she loves and she treats as sacred in her own life. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and Sana. And you're going to hear me saying nice things about Weathering Heights. And it's not even a joke. I mean it, guys. I'm changing. Look at me growing in front of you. Hi, Sana. Hello. It's so good to see you not in the mud and the rain. It's crazy, isn't it? It feels like it's been ages. It hasn't even been that long, but it's nice to see you again. So we are here today to talk about a book that I have very strong feelings about, Weathering Heights. You are a self-described Weathering Heights person. It is my favorite book of all time. And every time I tell people that, they go, are you okay? What is wrong with you? And it's a... It is just a favorite. Something about that book has just always stuck with me since the first time I read it. It's not a cry for help when you tell people that it's your favorite book. It's not. I just I just love anything dark. I understand. Okay, for people who maybe haven't read Weathering Heights since the 10th grade, can you just remind people before we jump into our conversation, what is Weathering Heights about? So I feel like there's many ways to describe this book. And I think people end up focusing on like the dark love story that's in it, the doomed love story. I mean, first of all, it's a gothic novel and it's the story of Heathcliff and Kathy, but also all the people around them, really. There's like a family tree in the front of the book for most editions. If you're lucky, you follow two generations and it's basically the small group of people on the Yorkshire Moors torturing each other. <laughs> they form relationships some of them are family, they meet, they, you know, fall apart again and they don't see each other for years. But at the core of it is this really dark, doomed love story. I feel like that's maybe a good way to get into it. Okay. So what do you love about it? Why is this a book that touches your heart so deeply? I think part of it is the setting. So I'm originally from the Netherlands and I now live in England. And one of the many reasons that I moved here is like the gorgeous landscape. So the moors, it's windy, it's raining, it's dark, and it's really isolated as well. Like that's another part of sort of the special setting of it. They don't see many other people. And then I just love a doomed love story. I love kind of knowing from the beginning that it's not going to end well, and then seeing the fallout of it. I love a Byronic hero. It is definitely a little dramatic, a little over the top. I think some people don't 
vibe with that part of the book where they go, you know, it's unrealistic and a relationship shouldn't be like this. I mean, that's kind of the point of the whole book. So that darkness and that inevitability of it almost, it almost seems like it reads like a myth or something. That is what keeps me coming back to it over and over again. Yeah. I just read a biography of Emily Bronte that gave me my first sort of like crack into Weathering Heights that I was like, oh, this is my way in, which was this biographer posited that Emily Bronte thought that the world was a little bit sadistic, that the world was cruel, which makes sense. Like she watched her sister die. She watched her mother die, right? Like she had a hard life. And so she thought that the world took love from you and wrote, yeah, this like huge dramatic myth demonstrating the cruelty of the world. And I was like, that, I can get behind that. (laughs) It's funny because I think any of the Bronte novels are so interlinked with like the sisters, their setting, the nature, their family relationships, their sort of individual outlooks on life. I think you can't see Wuthering Heights or any of their other books outside of that context. And I quite like that. Like to me, the author is not dead. (laughs) I want to know what inspired them to write the book. And I think especially with Wuthering Heights, that is so intriguing. And it's one of those questions that people keep asking over and over again, and they can't always agree on. Yeah. One of my favorite professors and thinkers is a woman named Amy Hollywood, who loves Weathering Heights and hates Jane Eyre. And the reason she hates Jane Eyre, she's like, Charlotte was trying to tame Emily. And Emily Mm -hmm. (laughs) was untamable. And just like, thinks of Jane Eyre as an act of violence against this novel that is just pure rage. Does the rage element of Weathering Heights sort of appeal to you? I think I just love a good revenge story. Mm. And especially in this book with Heathcliff going away at a young age, them not knowing what's happened to him. And then he comes back as a successful rich man, ready to destroy everyone who's ever wronged him, Mm -hmm. including the person that he loves. It's already building up so much in the beginning. But I think when he returns, you get that explosion and it starts going downhill And then there's also the everyday violence bit of it, which is just like people get addicted, people lose their money, people just slowly get distanced from each other and start resenting each other, just like the slightly more ordinary kind of rage and results of, you know, certain events that happen. So it's, yeah, there's there's something for everyone in there. Yeah. I mean, it is a book that's very cathartic to read. It is the reading equivalent of screaming into a pillow. It sees the nooks and crannies of all of your revenge fantasies, of all of your drama, right? Like there's something just like operatic about it. It feels like it was never meant for anyone else to see almost. Like you're just writing this thing and getting it all out and fully exploring all these dark ideas. And even now when you think about this book being published, you're like, wow, it's, it's a lot. And it getting published at that time, you know, people responded to it very strongly when it came out, but sometimes it still seems like a miracle that it was published. Oh, absolutely. People thought it was deeply twisted and it is deeply twisted. It is. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about the theme of this pilgrimage. All of our pilgrimages have a theme that we like read the book through the lens of, and you picked the theme of imagination. How 
are you planning on sort of looking at Wuthering Heights in this trip through that lens? So it was actually very difficult to pick a theme because there is so much to talk about in this book. So I mentioned like repetition and cycles and nature and rebellion and passion. And like this book has a lot going for itself, which is one of the reasons that I love it. But I went with imagination because since we are going to be in that place, we're going to be in Howarth, we're going to be in Yorkshire, we're going to walk through nature there. You can't help but imagine Emily Bronte walking there with her sisters, them at the parsonage sitting around the table in the evening, all writing their novels and coming up with these very different, wild and imaginative stories. And I think I just, I had to go with imagination because I'm hoping that people on the trip will be able to think about their own imagination and think about like sort of the freedom to create and create things that are maybe different from what you've done before. Thinking about what inspires you, like what you consume, what you read, what you, where you travel, what you watch and how that influences you as well. So there's so many ways we can go with that. I would love to include a sketching trip in the pilgrimage as well, while we're on the moors and just sit there and really take in the environment and just have that time to think and imagine. So yeah, I'm really excited to see all the different ways we can explore the theme. Yeah, our hiking guide on this trip, Chris Goddard, is a cartographer and artist, and he always makes sure to spend some time giving pilgrims a chance to sort of draw the landscape. And Haworth and the Bronte sort of land is one of the most perfect pilgrimage destinations that I can imagine. There are sort of ruins that were ruins in the 1820s when Emily was walking the moors that inspired the locations for Wuthering Heights. And then the Parsonage House is one of my favorite museums in the world. It is the house that the sisters lived in for like the bulk of their lives. Down the street from the Parsonage House is the schoolroom where Emily refused to step into (laughs) because she refused to teach. But she walked by it every day. And that is like actually where we study and learn on these trips. And then the other thing that I love about this location is that even before the Bronte Parsonage got turned into a museum, when it was still functioning as a parsonage, Virginia Woolf and Sylvia Plath both went on pilgrimage to Haworth and described their trips as pilgrimage, right? Like there is this tradition of women artists going and like, paying homage to the Bronte sisters. There's something so special about that place because everything is so close together. You know, you go for a three-minute walk and you're on the moors. Yep. And I feel like there keeps being like slightly new things as well, like those beautiful Bronte stones. And then they've restored the post office Mm. that's on that high street as well. And that's where they would have sent their manuscripts off to the publishers. They've got a little blue plaque on it and they've just opened, I think it might be a coffee shop now, but they've totally restored it and just opened it. And that wasn't there when I was there last September. No. So I'm really excited to see that as well. Oh my God, I'm so jealous. I want to go back now. I was just there. <laughs> yeah. And then it's also just like this very cute, vibrant town. Yeah. You go from vibrant, adorable town to the moors in really five minutes or less. And like lots of really great independent shops and coffee shops. I was there for about a week in September by myself, again, on a mission to be there by myself and read and draw and just walk on the moors. And it was fantastic. Like it was an incredible time. And there's there's nothing like it, like taking the time to do something like that. 
The other thing is that Haworth as a town is an Emily town. When I took a Jane Eyre pilgrimage there, everybody was like, oh, you're here on a Bronte pilgrimage? We'd be like Jane Eyre. And they'd be like, oh. It was like Charlotte is definitely, (laughs) yeah, she's considered the basic Bronte in Haworth. I'm like, sorry, I'm basic. So you guys are definitely going to be treated like the cool kids in town. Every museum curator at the Parsonage is like hardcore weathering heights and thinks that us Jane Eyre girls are just a little bit stupid. I will say, though, that, like, I am on this renewed love with Emily. I just reread Weathering Heights, and I had only read it twice before. And what I remember hating about it in high school, I now really appreciated, which is it has a structural frame, right? Like, someone is telling you this story, and there's just, like, a lot of looking through windows and watching each other and a lot of telling of stories within the novel. And I love this theme of imagination because one of the theories sort of of the novel is what people are imagining about each other. Like Kathy is imagining Heathcliff doing certain things after he's run away and she has no reason to believe he'll come back. And Heathcliff is imagining that Kathy is waiting for him. And there are all of these miscommunications around imagining. And also because everyone is watching each other, they're assuming things. I I can really see myself sort of like in these conversations, not just being inspired to imagine my own work, but like thinking about the way that my imagination serves me in my daily life, but also can mess with us in our daily lives. Because a lot of it is also them imagining what kind of life they could have and imagining what they deserve. You know, they only have so many examples of the few people that are around them for what might be possible for them. And sometimes they might not be able to think beyond that or see beyond that. And so the imagination and sort of what comes along with that is like what you can see for yourself and what you can think for yourself. And even just with the book of Withering Heights, It's like such an audacious book. (laughs) The fact that Emily like dreamt it up and had that curiosity and that frame of mind that she's like, I am, I want to put this out there. I want to write this and finding that confidence also at a time where, you know, they published it under a pseudonym, a male pseudonym. And so thinking about how finding that confidence in your imagination and, and what you can achieve and how that will help you with creative expression, I think, is a really interesting thing that we'll definitely think about on the trip. Yeah. And it's also, to what extent was she inspired by her own life? There are theories that Heathcliff is based on her brother and right, like, so what we can take from our own lives into our artistic expressions and like turn into something productive in certain spaces. And things that you might not have considered yourself that could be a piece of inspiration that to you is like, you're just your normal day to day that you can definitely, you know, think about it in a different way and and use it in some way. Yeah. Is there one thing in particular before we say goodbye that you're like, I can't wait for this moment? I've been thinking and like envisioning a lot the moment when the whole group of pilgrims will arrive at the Bronte Falls, which is this gorgeous little like oasis in the middle of the moors where you've got running water, you've got the beautiful purple heather, especially at the time that we're going. We've kind of picked it for ultimate 
purple heather season. And just having that whole group there, I remember from the other pilgrimage I went on, we had our beautiful packed lunches and you just sit and chat with all these people that you've been spending the last few days with and you've been getting to know them and you just sit there for a while. And I, I did the same when I was there. I brought my sketching supplies and a book and I spent about three hours there by myself. And you can really just envision, you can go, you know, 200 years back in time and imagine what it would have been like then. And there's nothing like it. Like it was very special. And so that's something that I really just want to share with like a group of people I think would be very special. Yeah, it is a place where you can, I think one of the beautiful things about pilgrimage is imagining yourself in the footsteps of people who you admire. And this is a very specific thing that I always think about, but when I'm hiking where Emily Brontair, where Virginia Woolf, like famous walkers used to walk. I'd be like, they walked right here and they probably also had to pee. And you don't think of them having <laughs> to pee in the woods, but they did, right? Like it really brings them down from the pedestal a little exactly. bit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, their boots also got covered in mud. And right, like it brings them down to humans in such a beautiful way that I really. Yeah, it's one of the things that I love about walking in the same spaces as people who we admire. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm so happy for you and I'm so jealous. And I'm I'm really excited about my 40s being my Weathering Heights decade. I'm going to go deep. <laughs> I'm very excited for you as well. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be in my Weathering Heights era for the rest of my life. To be clear, I will always be a Jane Eyre person to my core. <laughs> But I'm gonna I'm gonna spend some time flirting with Emily. Make a little decade. space for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Sana, thank you so much. And everyone, you can sign up to go on this pilgrimage at readingandwalkingwith.com with the wonderful Sana. And you can follow Sana at Books and Quills. She's an amazing YouTube channel that I'm obsessed with and is on Instagram and does all of her great literary and travel work and shares it there. You can get a great little Hawith sneak peek as well on there where I've documented my sort of personal pilgrimage. So if you want to see what it looks like, you can have a look there. Thank you, Sana. Thanks for having me.